Welcome back, folks. We are riding on into the friskalating dustlight here at the Insatiable Content Pod with our 12th episode on Wes Anderson's new movie, The French Dispatch. I am your host, Vincent Rossmeyer, and I'm really excited to talk about this movie as well as my top five Wes Anderson movies of all time. Like so many middle-aged white men with a liberal arts education, I've been an Anderson fan since my college years when I first saw Rushmore. And while I think the quality of Anderson's ouvoir has greatly vacillated after his masterpiece, The French, uh, the Royal Tenenbaums, I've never missed one of his movies, in part because they are so clearly the emanations of a particular mind who is deeply committed to his craft. And fortunately, despite some negative or lukewarm reviews that I've read or heard about The French Dispatch, I actually think this was Anderson returning to his near top form. So I'm really excited to talk about this movie today and how it fits into the larger Anderson filmography. And as promised, joining me on this insatiable journey into the Anderson world of Twee, none other than my longtime friend and editor at the Washington Business Journal, Drew. He wrote a hit play, so he's not sweating it either, Hanson. Now, Drew... What are you wearing? Is that a nurse's uniform or OR scrubs? Welcome to the Insatiable Content Podcast. Hey, Vince. Uh, I have my fur on and I'm about to step off the bus. You have that uh, that Nico needle drop all queued up? I, I do. Uh, <laughs> no, no, I wouldn't miss an opportunity to talk about uh, one of our most distinctive and, and greatest living filmmakers with you. Really happy to be here. Well, thank you so much. Um, I'm so excited to have you here today because we've been talking about Anderson's films from way back when we were young, beautiful boys. You were a young uh, UW undergrad, and I came to Halloween in Madison and dressed like Richie Tenenbaum. So there's a long history and love of Anderson's films between us here to draw from. Um, Now, just like quick little context here, the background of the French Dispatch, if you haven't been paying attention to it, is that it's Anderson's homage to foreign journalists writing for a magazine that is eerily similar to The New Yorker, pretty much The New Yorker and everything but its name. And the structure of the movie follows the structure of a New Yorker issue with a piece uh, to start that's like a talk of the town and then three longer feature stories. Each is self-contained and tells different stories with, I'd argue, varying effectiveness, but we can get into that, Drew. Um, so enough be- enough preamble here. Before we get into our top five uh, Anderson films all time. Let me ask you, what did you think of the French Dispatch? Well, you know, as you've hinted, uh, I'm a longtime Wes Anderson fan. I've also worked in journalism for 20 years. Uh, I've spent many hours in rooms where there are proofs thumbtacked on, on the wall, shared <laughs> countless hours, uh, in evenings with eccentric reporters and editors. So this was right in my sweet spot to begin with. But but that said, it it, it really did exceed my expectations. The uh, the the anthology aspect of it, the, the three different stories, seemed like a, a real experiment to me when I when I first read about that. Uh, I wasn't entirely sure he was going to be able to pull them all off, but I, but I think it ultimately worked because there was very little drag. The stories kept moving uh, things forward, and and the, the screen, of course, was filled with visually interesting and arresting people and things uh, more so than maybe we're we're even accustomed to with Wes Anderson. I I agree with you. I, I was a little surprised to see that it got uh, uh, some some so. So reviews, it's not doing great at the, the box office. But but no, it, 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 Anderson really pushed his style out about as far as I, I think you can go with with this one. Uh, and I felt it lifted the storytelling this time, as opposed to maybe taking away from it, which is which has been a, a knock against him. Um, can I ask you one? Speaking, can I ask yeah, you one ahead. thing? I, I think that point on your that you made that him pushing out his style to pretty much the max, like. For, for people who aren't as, like, in the Wes Anderson world, like, what do you mean by that? Because I couldn't agree with that point more, Drew. 
Yeah, I mean, it's just every every frame is is tailored uh, to the absolute uh, most possible uh, way way you can think that you know the thumbtacks are on the wall or a certain shade of of yellow or whatever. Yep. Uh, um, the um, um, you know the, the the staging the way this, they staged the second story was sort of the the moving stage pieces like it's the stage play. Yep. Um, um, the different the switches between black and white and and color, um, just uh, you know, I'm trying to remember if there was any slow mo. I'm sure there was in, in some 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 way or another, uh, but uh, yeah, just um, just the, the Andersonian style, which uh, it has been copped uh, every which way. Um, but uh, yeah, just um, um, the maximalist down to every detail. Well, um, it, it's all there. And I think it's I think it's a film I'm gonna have to watch two or three times uh, just to pick up on all the cues that uh, uh, that maybe I missed uh, in the background and stuff like that. I'm sure there were some jokes and some some clever things back there I missed. Oh yeah, me too. And I, I mean, just more to that. It's just so detailed. His and his style is always like that. But like you know, even at the end during the credits when there are all these like essentially fake New Yorker uh, cartoon covers. I mean, that was that was incredible that they took the time to like come up with all those. But then I actually heard an interview interview uh, today with Jeffrey Wright, who um, is in this movie, and he was saying that Timothy Chalamet's character is constantly writing in a journal and writing uh, uh, throughout the book or throughout the movie. And Wes Anderson actually wrote in filled all those pages so it's not just like you know he's writing in an empty notebook or just like acting like he's writing nope there's actual there's an actual story in that that and that is to me like the epitome of Wes Anderson no detail is too small to pay attention to yeah yeah and that, you know that that right uh, the the third uh, story there with Jeffrey Wright um I think that was probably my favorite uh, it's, me too uh, uh, his character is uh, sort of a character. He's a reporter cataloging a, a caper that involves a police chef as opposed to a police chief. Um, <laughs> is it right, to ex- right explaining the solace a reporter can find in a restaurant meal? Rain really true for me. Um, and the chef uh, at the end describing the allure he found in being poisoned, I thought was was super clever, and I thought it was pretty pretty poignant too. Um, I, I am uh, just to nitpick a little bit. I am starting to wonder a little if the all-star casting is starting to get a little distracting. You know, two of uh, two of the greatest actresses working today, Saoirse Ronan and Elizabeth Moss, have very small parts in this. I, did, did Elizabeth Moss say say two lines of dialogue? I know. I, I don't know. Uh, Christoph Waltz, a two-time Oscar winner, gets a, a cup of coffee maybe. Uh, and so that really kind of pulled me out of it a little bit. Uh, that's just a bit of a nitpick on an otherwise really enjoyable ride. Um, um, you, you know, I think Anderson used to have sort of his cast of, of, of people back from, from Texas, whether it was um, Kumar or uh, some of the other, uh, the other lesser known Wilson brother popping up. And I think he's kind of replaced those with some, with, you know, two-time Oscar winners or four-time Oscar nominees, um, uh, which, is, which is different. And, I, you know, it sounds like that's just, uh, it's a great time filming these movies with them. They all move into a hotel together. Yeah. The, the crew and the cast eat together. Yep. And, uh, who, wouldn't, who wouldn't want to do that? So, um, no, you know, I just, it, that's uh, I, I don't know how you felt about that. It, it did take me out of it a little bit. Well, it, it's interesting because I would say, you know, I'm going to I'm going to give some of the things I loved about the movie in a minute. But I couldn't agree with you more that it's almost like, you know, uh, you know, you and I are both NBA fans and it's almost like a team with too much depth. 
uh, where you don't know who to play because I felt like, you know, even Edward Norton's character who has a bit more to do in this, he barely gets a line. But yeah, you have Christoph Waltz who's like carried Inglorious Bastards and along with Brad Pitt and he like barely has a line to say and like Elizabeth Moss is like my favorite actress and she you know is on screen but she doesn't really get to say much and so I don't I don't know what you do I don't to alleviate that I I don't know if stuff was left on the cutting room floor um but it may just be that like everyone wants everyone's okay with coming in and you know getting two minutes on Wes Anderson's team because like they get to work with him, and when else would you have this opportunity? It is funny though. I do. I did kind of um, think about who maybe I, I, I would have liked to have seen this movie who wasn't in it. Um, maybe from the the regular Anderson uh, troupe or, or someone who hasn't done one before. Um, I, I did think that Jeff Goldblum, who, who has been mm-hmm. in a couple of Anderson's movies, uh, I, um, I've definitely met some magazine editors who carry themselves around like Jeff Goldblum, and he could have been really funny as like a managing editor assisting Bill Murray's character in this one. Is there is there anyone you would have wanted to see in this movie that wasn't, or, or anything that, that popped into your mind there? That's a really good question. Um, was Luke Wilson in this? He wasn't. I didn't see him. Yeah. I mean, there were so many people in it that I was wondering. I, I love Luke Wilson in uh, Wes Anderson films, so I could have done with that. Um, but other than that, not terribly. Um, I, I So I, I guess that's one of my points is the cast is part of the reason this movie is so good is the cast insane. You have like actors like Jason Schwartzman and Owen Wilson showing up just to give a few lines here or there. Bill Murray, I thought was really good. His, that one line that he has with Jeffrey Wright near the end of, um, their vignette, um, where he basically is like, Jeffrey, you took the best part of the story, the whole point of the story, and you cut that out. And me as your editor, like needs to put it back in was just beautiful. But I thought Benicio del Toro and I was fantastic. Uh, Tilda Swinton, I, I mean, anything she's in, she just dominates. And so, yeah, I think it was, I think the cast is both wonderful that it's this steep. I mean, we haven't even mentioned Timothy Chalamet or Francis McDermott. Um, but it is like you do want, I, I, I don't know, I could have seen more of each of them. Not necessarily, I, I like that the vignettes were as long as they were and weren't any longer. But I could have dealt with all of them um, a bit more. And I thought, you know, my one other critique was there's that aside where in the in the final vignette where they move to a cartoon style. And I was like, I'd rather actually I know maybe it was related to covid, but I'd actually rather see like Edward Norton acting this than a cartoon of Edward Norton without even a voiceover um, showing me what was happening during like this pivotal chase scene. I'm wondering if if it's if it's uh, an action sequence is a little beyond uh, or it's something that that he would have to give away too much control to film yeah uh, really hard to control the the frame when people are moving around he's not big on camera movement and that sort of stuff so uh, maybe the the animation is his way around that it's funny I, I do think if you think of some of the action type scenes like i thought uh we'll talk about it a little bit later but in the life aquatic when the, the, the pirates raid the boat um, I thought I thought it was actually pretty 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 cool the way it, it shook out that you know the the boat's shaking a little bit it adds a little movement uh, um, um, and it's very jarring when you're watching his his movies where things are so drawn up so precisely and then you kind of move into something that's that's a little more frenetic um, so yeah you know I, I think 
COVID, you're right, COVID may have had something to do with it, or, or uh, maybe it is just something that uh, uh, the, the maestro is, uh, is a little scared to, to give up the control. So I think that's a really good insight, because, yeah, um, this movie had more violence than most Wes Anderson movies, but, like, doing, like, a chase scene, like, even though I think he probably would love doing a chase scene, like, in The French Connection or something like that, and, you know, having a direct homage there, it, you're right that, like, a lot is out of his control, and if there's one thing we know about Wes Anderson, it's that he loves to have control over everything. So we can now move into our top five. And I think in part in doing that, I can just say like the French dispatch is my fifth favorite uh, of his films. And so I can, I'll give some of the reasons why it's one, like I read the New Yorker almost cover to cover every single issue. I love that magazine. He's clearly obsessed with it. You know, he reportedly bought um, old editions that were going to be thrown out from, I believe, the University of California when they came up. And he always has this fascination with this like beautiful intersection between writing and film, which is like similar to a lot of the filmmakers that he is paying homage to here. French filmmakers like Godard and Truffaut. And so I, I love that where you can enjoy it just as it is. But if you have seen those films and you know a bit about French uh, film history, you also get the references there. And to that point, it's also beautifully shot. I mean, this whole thing, I was just like, oh my God, I need to get out of New Orleans and go to France. This is just beautiful. I want to be eating this food. I want to be smelling the smells on their streets. Uh, it, it, it was fantastic. Um, and then I would say the two other things that I really loved about this movie is the dialogue, as always, it was sh- like in his movies, so sharply written. Um, the, you know, just one thing that stuck out to me is Francis McDermott's journalist characters described at one point as someone who finds it easier to be in relationships that end, which is like that pinpoint accuracy of defining something that you didn't even know you wanted to find that I feel like happens in a lot of Wes Anderson movies. But once and once you hear that phrase, you're like, oh, I know exactly what that means. Um, so I thought that was awesome. And then finally, like I walked out of the theater. I don't know about you, Drew, but like I haven't felt this like happy after seeing a piece of art in a really long time. Like there have been many things I've liked recently, like Dune or something like that. But like I didn't leave like sort of giddy and this just like felt like a reaffirmation of life and like a very joyous film. And I really appreciated that on Anderson's part. It was my first trip to a movie theater about two years. So I think that there you go. the joy that I was feeling. Um, but, uh, but no, no, I, I, I think it might ultimately crack my top five. I want to give it, uh, uh, you know, a, a little bit more time and, and give it another look or two. Uh, but, but yeah, it, it, it really is, uh, is something special. I, I think it's one of the best movies we'll see this year. Um, but uh, no, I, I, I think it'll eventually. Should, should I go into my? Top yeah, five yeah. What, let's let's get into the top five. What did, what is your okay. number five? And I so, I love that we disagree on this stuff because we have not only movies in different orders, but also different movies on this altogether. Yeah. So I, I may have been cheating here a little bit, but I made Hotel Chevalier uh, number <laughs> five. So this is this is a short film that Anderson made. It's sort of a, a, a preamble to the Darjeeling Limited. Uh, it was shown at some early screenings of that movie and, and then was added to the DVD. It stars Jason Schwartzman and Natalie Portman, and it's set entirely inside a, a Paris hotel room. I, be, I believe it's Paris. Um, now, I know Darjeeling is... is generally considered Anderson's biggest miss. I would, which um, I think is fair. It's a bad, I don't love that movie. Yeah. I, I do contend that there are some really amazing things about it, namely the, the flashback scene at the auto shop toward the end of the movie at their father's funeral. 
Uh, and, and I do think bringing Adrian Brody into Anderson's troop has, has been excellent for everyone involved. Yep. I thought he was, was enjoyable in the French Dispatch. All that said, uh, Hotel Chevalier is easily the most adult composition of Anderson's career. It's an incredibly wry portrait of a, a doomed relationship. Portman kills it. She's she's just smoldering. Schwartzman does his thing to great effect, whatever that Schwartzman thing is that I can't really put a finger on. Um, that, the, the film is sexy. It's a little haunting. It gets the mix of emotions that come with with Jilted Love just right. I, I really think it is deserving on the spot of, a, of his list of achievements. So, so that's why it's my number five. I love that you brought this in, especially because as, as someone who isn't a fan of Dar- Dark Healing Limited, Dark Healing, um, I like that this got included here. I think it's a very smart pick on your part because it is very good and very affecting. And it's cool to see him work in a like a different style because I do think short films are are almost a different art form art form than long form films. So and you know we we got three or four of them in this recent movie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, okay, my number four and. Um, I know this is not on your list, is the fantastic Mr. Fox. I think it's his most underrated film. I have probably seen this 10 times now because I have children and they love it, despite the fact that I think it's sort of a grown-up kids movie. It's very arty. Um, And I think the underlying themes of it aren't something that you usually think of when you think of kids movies. It's about stifled ambition and having to accept who you are and your place in life rather than who you wanted to be as you enter middle age, something that, you know, like I certainly think about a lot. Um, I don't love stop action, which is, I think that, you know, the, the, the term for what is used in the movie, like the cartoonish style, but I thought it was pretty effective and it's a great George Clooney performance. I think slightly out of character. He's much more sleazy than he is in other movies. Um, as always, it's, uh, it, it's, it's telling when you can take the, the George Clooney face out of the movie, and he's you know he's he doesn't have his vanity to really work with in this one. Yeah, so the, it, it gives him a little bit more uh, room to, to use his chops, I think. Yeah, and I think it's a deeply affecting relationship, a depiction of a relationship between a father and a son. Uh, Jason Schwartzman does a great job in it again, um, and so yeah, I I would highly recommend it, and it's a great movie to watch with kids. Um, they they whenever we do movie night they are it is one of the things that they will ask for repeatedly again and again so that would be my number four what's yours drew so uh, my number four uh listen it's probably anderson's finest hour but it's the royal tenenbaums i mean we're gonna get controversial here yeah i mean here we go so so, you know gene hackman will elevate anything that he's in and boy do we miss someone like him in, in movies today i agree uh luke wilson's never been better i think his performance really is tremendous um, it, it's a it's a male lead that I don't think we've really sort of the brutish the, the broodingness the the uh, it's just the character we haven't seen in, in uh, some of the other Anderson movies I don't think or at least not played to the to the level that it is with him here and listen it's still a, a lot of fun and, and the emotion of it still feels very real but, but as we get farther away from it it has sort of become all about the costumes and and the needle drops of this one. Um, Hmm. That's what people remember. That's what they hold up. Um, I think it may have been ultimately been a little bit of a detriment to Anderson's reputation, uh, despite it being such an amazing movie. Um, it's on my list. I love it. Um, uh, you know, I'll let you sing its praises, Vince, because it does deserve them. But um, that's just sort of my relationship with it today. Um, um, 
you know, I, I, when I think back to it, I, I think of the tennis outfit, I think of the fur coat, I think of of uh, the Rolling Stones and Nico and um, Van Morris and, yep. uh, and, and Hackman. I, I don't, you know, piecing it all together, I, you know, the story and all that just doesn't come to the, the fore for me. Uh, so that that's why it's a little bit further down on my list. I, and I think that's I, I understand that even if it's that doesn't resonate as much for me. And uh, you know, spoiler alert here: we will. I, uh, Royal Tenenbaums is significantly higher up on my list, so I, I'll wait to share my comments on it until we get there. But I I see where you're coming from, even though like it was interesting to me doing a. I had that worry that I had almost like it was almost like a fetishization of like those very Wes Anderson aspects of it, the costumes and things like that. And, um, you know, when, uh, when I rewatched it last year during COVID, I couldn't believe how affecting affected I felt. And I was really surprised that it still had that impact on me, but we'll go into it a bit more later, but we had the same number three, the grand Budapest hotel. Um, I found this movie deeply moving in a way that, again, I think similar to Mr. Fox is only something Wes Anderson can do. I, it, To me, it felt like a reckoning of who we are um, as Ralph Fiennes, Fiennes plays an aging hotelier in an aging hotel. And both he and the hotel have seen their better days. It's For me, it also felt like pure Euro nostalgia for days gone by, you know, almost like that element of like reading art uh, all around the time of uh, the great wars in Europe where there's that tinge of nostalgia both for what came before but then also the life that had been disrupted um, and so it's like to me I also came I, I like this movie a lot because I feel like it, it comes to this idea that like it's about the way, like, if we do not invest our own lives with meaning, no matter how insignificant our actions may seem on a daily basis, we are lost. And so, like, Fiends' character in this is like, yes, he's he's just running a hotel. And at the end of the day, it's pretty mundane what he's doing. But, like, he provides great meaning to it and finds great meaning in it. And I think that's sort of, like, what we are tasked to do in all of life. Because, like, meaning doesn't just come to us. It's what we do it. And there's one line um, that I just love from this movie. I'll just highlight it here before, you know, uh, you, you share your thoughts through. But it's like... At one point, he says, you see, there are still faint glimmers of civilization left in this barbaric slaughterhouse that was once known as humanity. Indeed, that's what we provide in our modest, humble and in, uh, insignificant way. And so, like, there's almost like an element of remains of the day in this that, like, we're serving something that's greater than ourselves uh, that connects deeper to history that I really loved about this movie. Yeah, you know, th- this one was, I guess, his last uh, one the live action movie before the French Dispatch. Um, I-, I just find the structure of this one tremendously inventive. Mm-hmm. The whole nonlinear Russian nesting doll storytelling of it. We're, we're introduced at the jump uh, to an author played by Tom Wilkinson, who was played in a younger version by Jude Law, who, who talks with F. Murray Abraham in the late 60s at the hotel. F. Murray Abraham's character flashes us back to his time in the hotel in the 1930s. Uh, yeah, that's just, you know, just thinking about that after you see that movie is pretty incredible. And, and then there's how Anderson uses that framework to show us kind of what you talked about, how the impacts of fascism extend through the decades and the relationship between time and memory. And heck, it's it's still, you know, pretty hilariously zany at times. Yeah. Um, um, I, I will say the Gustav Zero relationship loses me a little bit. There's a scene after they break out of the prison where they kind of have a heart to heart that doesn't work for me all that much. Couldn't agree more. Uh, yep. 
but man, a, a tiny bit of storytelling here. Um, and it's Anderson's biggest hit. I think it made a hundred million more than Royal Tenenbaums. Wow. Um, it, it got him uh, so far his only Oscar nod for directing his only Best Picture nod. I think it was his third or fourth for for screenwriting. Uh, th- and this one I think still rewards with with rewatches. I, I love uh, when I can catch this one. I agree with you there, and I, I think it's sort of ridiculous just on a side note that he hasn't received more Oscar nominations, especially when you look at some of the movies that um, he's gone up with and when he's released his. Um, Okay, well, this, we're going to have a good overlap here because my number two is Rushmore. um, And I know that's also on your list. Now, um, you know, my top two are no surprise. Rushmore number two, Royal Tenenbaums number one. To me, these movies are so close um, you know, depending on what point in life I am, I could switch them. But I think seeing Rushmore for the first time, it's what like I it made me want to go into film. It made me want to be a director. Um, and, you know, I, I went to film school for a semester in large part because this movie was so inspiring to me. And it's I think it's so, so funny. Um and in terms of a coming of age movie, one of my favorite coming of age stories ever. And Jason, I mean, Jason Schwartzman just dominates it. Um, I think he has a lot of stifled ambitions um, that, you know, young artistic uh, people can relate to. But I also think like a lot of Anderson's best work, it's also about catharsis and overcoming grief, um, with, you know, a lot of through lines to Royal Tenenbaums. And to me, you can't get away from the fact that this is Bill Murray's breakout performance as a more serious actor. Um, you know, he would go on to, he's gone on to do a lot more of these, but this was I one to me, at least that I think put him on the map even more so than working with Sofia Coppola. Um, and there are just so many scenes in the movie I quote regularly or think about, and it's probably, so it's probably unfair to mention only a few, but like I went every time, like I'm playing basketball with my children and I block a shot. I'm I like, that harkens back to me when Bill Murray did that. Um, The scene when he's sitting at the bottom of the pool, just like, you know, which to me has a lot of like direct references to the graduate, um, you know, sort of contemplating the failure of his life, you know, watching his philandering wife and his two monsters of sons. It's just beautiful. And the music again, I think really, you know, this was only his second film, but it was when you really saw for the first time what his style would be and how much music makes an impact. And, you know, as a succession fan, I always forget for some reason that Brian Cox is in this movie and he's, but he's great. He's, he is, you know, he's in it too. So yeah, Rushmore is my number two. No, no, it's it's my number one. Yep. Um, you know, I, I do think that, uh, yeah, like you said, he, it, it kind of breaks, he kind of breaks into his, uh, unfurls his wings with this one. I think Bottle Rocket, which I, which I do enjoy, uh, you know, there was, uh, James L. Brooks was involved in that and, and some other people. And I, I think a lot of hands got it, got into that one. Uh, and, and he was thinking, all oh, these guys were also very young. You know, Owen Wilson wrote this one, uh, Bottle Rocket Rushmore and, and the Royal Tenenbaums with, uh, with Wes. And, I, you know, I think um, there's some belief that, that uh, Wes's path has kind of changed since Owen has stepped back from, from working with mm-hmm. him on it. But um, I, I remember seeing Rushmore in theaters uh, in high school. Uh, I went with my parents. They were going to see it and just sort of asked me on a whim to come along. Um, I had seen the trailer and I thought it was just, yeah, I thought it was just going to be like a big showdown between this weird teenager and Bill Murray. And 
and heck, I was all for that. Uh, you know, I, I, um, I thought that had been pretty awesome, but it ended up being something so much more and, and just completely different than anything I'd, I'd ever seen. Uh, it was really the first time I, I saw a movie where I realized someone was making all these interesting decisions from production yeah, design. Great point. Shot composition to dialogue to storytelling. You know, every just, you know, an interesting. Uh, move uh, just a- anything any shift in that movie any anything you see i think is is just something you, you, you almost unexpected or you, you, you weren't thinking was going to come and it, it really leaves a, a a great mark uh with me and and i think uh it holds a special place because of that uh it, the yearbook montage vince i know it's probably my favorite thing i know has ever done um with all respect to the rocky movies I, I can't ask for a more perfect montage i i'm with you it's just so good uh god and even now i'm just thinking of all the lines that I love from it. Um, why don't you give your number two since we skipped over that to talk about Rushmore and then I'll go into my yeah. defense of Royal Town of Bombs. So this one I, I think is uh, uh, maybe not controversial, maybe a little controversial. I don't know. But the Life Aquatic with Steve Jesus was my number two. Uh, and this is pretty simple for me. It's one of my favorites because it employs Bill Murray in a starring <laughs> role. Um, uh, there is no better Anderson player in my mind. Um, and, he, you know, he's not... He, he's not charming in this one. There isn't sort of the the maybe the all shucks uh, Bill Murray persona that we're used to. He, he really dials it up the the prickishness, uh, the asshole more than we're used to, and, and I think that works better in this movie than folks might remember. It's sort of uh, he's sort of a grizzled, sort of grizzled by failure, hmm. and um, um, but, but you know you know Wes really likes to keep his shots trained on his subjects, and and Bill Murray, God bless him, loves to stand in those frames and fill them up. Uh, we know his face so well. He can express so much with just sort of a, a sigh or, or like a crinkle of his cheek and uh, a sh- you know a shift of his weight on how he's standing. And I, I think it's just a, I, I you know I I think you should go back and look at it and just look, look at what Bill Murray does in this movie. I, I think it's really effective. Um, I also think think this one has a lot to say about mortality and and uh, enduring with sadness and regret. Uh, really, a lot of the Anderson touch points across his filmography are, are here in, in this one movie. Family, fathers and sons, unrequited love, loss. There's the zany humor. There's the act of producing something. Here, it's, of course, underwater exploration. <laughs> um, and then there's the obsession with gear and, and accoutrement. Um, it, it's sort of the closest to the French dispatch that way. Yeah. With, with a big focus on sort of a single profession and, and everything that goes along with that. You know, I, I, it has its detractors. I understand it. Um, it still probably makes me laugh the most out of all of them. Um, just, the, you know, the, the, the team running around in wetsuits, uh, chasing pirates. Um, uh, it's just so, you know, it's it's just nuts. And, uh, you know, I think he got a big check coming out of the Royal Tenenbaums to make this one. And uh, he, he really ran with it with this one. And uh, that's, that's why I think it... Uh, uh, it stands out for me, and, and it, just in terms of, of jokes and, and lines, uh, I cannot not bring up. I can't not bring up this movie's tremendous trove of intern jokes. Uh, <laughs> I will admit, many times I've jokingly asked an intern to bring the Campari on the rocks just to see their reactions, just to see what they'll do. I mean, what, um, what do we have interns for if not to do that? That's it. very, very true. Um, so this is, that's, I find that's, it, my, that's my number two. I, what, you know, what do you, I don't know if you're a big fan of this one or not. This is the one I most want to revisit. I've only seen it once. I know I need to rewatch it. I just remember feeling slightly like one of the, I don't know if you've ever had this experience really trying to convince yourself you liked something more than you did. So it's been years. I love the Bill Murray performance and remember that. 
I just remember feeling, and I felt this way in some of his other movies, that it was Wes Anderson almost doing Wes Anderson rather than it being as natural. Um, but I don't know if that's fair. And so I, I, I do really want to revisit this, especially because it's constantly on like it's on on demand channels that I subscri- subscribe to for free. So I need to do that. I, I, you know, I, I will say I, I think the the scene where where Ned Owen Wilson's character dies in this movie is is still shocking, mm. uh, and it's done really really well. And I, I, I think if you kind of it's kind of difficult because it swings from comedy to to something you know a little bit more poignant. Uh, it, it swings back and forth quite a bit, and I, I think if you uh, on the whole, I, I just think it's it's really impressive and and uh, just an interesting. Uh, um, just an interesting film altogether. Well, um, so that's why it's my number two. Well, this is good. You're giving me homework, and I'm gonna I'm gonna watch it sometime very soon. So um, thank thank you for bringing up that point. Um, yeah, my my number one, no surprise. It's Royal Tenenbaums. It's not just one of my favorite Wes Anderson's, but probably films, but probably one of my top ten films ever. I saw this in college with my best friend Nicole. Shout out Nicole, Drew, you know her too. Um, and I'll never forget how we both left the theater crying. Um, you know, we saw this in Charlottesville and it just deeply affected me for a movie that is as quirky and strange and as funny as it is. I mean, as you were alluding to earlier, the Nico these days playing over as Mar- the scene where Margot gets off the bus to meet Richie is still one of my favorite music movie uh, matches with movie in a film ever. Like. I, I will all there are just so many scenes that really are so distinct that they stand out in my mind even years later. And, you know, you and I and many people we know can quote so much of this movie verbatim. And I'll often just think of scenes and from it and just like laugh out loud. Rewatching it recently made me really miss, as you were saying earlier, Gene Hackman. I wish he was still in more uh, films. This is one of his best performances. Um, and to me, it's the best Luke Wilson performance ever. Um, even more so than old school. (laughs) Um, But to me, it's also secretly a divorce movie. And so having gone through a divorce myself, rewatching it after that all went down, I was affected in a new way. And there's that longing for a sense of completeness that you get, I think, from a lot of the characters where it's like, you're longing for the sense of completeness that you know is permanently lost and can never be had again, even, um, and so you're sort of nostalgic for it, even as you know that like your course in life now is the best decision. Um, and it's also, again, about grief and loss and, you know, loss haunts so many of the characters, whether it's Richie with Margot, Chaz with his dead wife, uh, Royal with Ethleen, uh, to Henry and his wife, to Eli wanting so desperately to be part of the family because he never really had that on his own. So, I mean, the music is great. The dialogue is great. I mean, I, I, you know, lines like Royal saying, Richie, this illness, this closeness to death, it is, it's had a profound effect on me. I feel like I'm a different person. I really do. And Richie says, dad, you were never dying. And Royal says, but I'm going to live. Like just the performances, it's just, it's fantastic. And um, yeah, I was really pleasantly surprised in rewatching it recently, just how much I still enjoy it. So that's, those were our top fives for Russ Anderson's film career. Do you know what he's working on next, Drew? So it's called Asteroid City. Hmm. Uh, they just recently finished filming, I believe, in Spain. Uh, I've heard that there's at least some sort of Western element to it. Okay. Uh, and I know they. I know he's brought in Margot Robbie. 
and I think Tom Hanks might even be in this one. Huh. Uh, it's got a, it's got a huge cast. It, it, it's very uh, you know the cast keeps getting bigger and bigger. Uh, so who knows how much we'll we'll see everybody. But um, those are the two newish play new players that really jumped out to me from what I read. I, I that's about all I, I know about it really. So. Okay. Well, cool. I can't wait to see it. Um, and, maybe, and maybe we'll see it next year. I mean, that, that's the, yeah. the funny, funny thing about uh, about COVID is we, we might get these uh, a shorter wait between films now. So. Yeah, good point. Well, Drew, I, I can't thank you enough for coming on. I think this was a great discussion. I feel like my appreciation of Wes has only deepened by being able to talk to you about it. Um, but I would be remiss before I let you go since... I do do a section on the podcast called you know, uh, poop, What Pooped the Bed This Week, considering that like you are the inspiration for that segment um, with your fantastic antics back when we were at UVA. If you had anything on your mind that you felt really pooped the bed this week. All right, Vince. Um, what pooped the bed this week was was the new Spider-Man trailer, whatever it is. I'm, I'm getting real tired of, of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, that how it's bleeding into just about everything and I don't understand how this looks good uh, I saw the trailer it's got characters from movies that happened decades ago um, uh, it, it is uh, yeah I just don't understand what the appeal of these movies are anymore I, where they're going and and I'm just I'm just lost I'm just not interested in it anymore I, I couldn't agree more I'm so tired of this shit like why do we have to just why what is this obsession with superheroes like you see a movie like French Dispatch and it's so like deep much more deeply affecting and interesting and even if you hate it it's something new and thought provoking rather than having the same fucking characters just played by different people over and over and over again. I, I I'm, couldn't agree with you more on this, Drew. No, you know, we've been talking about Wes Anderson who, who came up in, in the, you know, the mid nineties, sort of that independent um, uh, film film world and that, that, that those middle budget movies don't exist anymore. No. Um, you know, the only reason I think we're, we're still getting Wes Anderson movies is he's got, uh, uh, Stephen Rails, his Indian paintbrush, uh, uh, backing everything he does, at least the last four or five of them. Um, uh, you know, he's one of the, the richest guys in, in the U S and, um, uh, he's just happy to put out, uh, write a check to, to Wes to, to put things out. Uh, uh, so if it wasn't for that, I, you know, I don't know, uh, what Wes's career would be looking like today and, and instead we're stuck with a glut of uh venom there's a second venom movie i guess of course it's, it's just it's just getting too much it's it's bleeding into streaming uh you can't you can't watch a movie just to enjoy a movie anymore you i know and i didn't see eternals i didn't i also didn't love nomadland i thought it was very overrated and problematic with some of the stuff it dealt with amazon but the fact that like chloe Zhao is spending her time on that rather than like making another movie it's just disappointing to me. So, yeah, as a as you know, two people who really appreciate film, I wish there was more just middle of the road stuff that wasn't all prepackaged IP. Everything's got to be big. No, there, yeah, there, there can't be. Uh, there's no sleepers anymore. I don't think. No, nope. really doesn't feel, feel that way. No. Nope. Well, Drew, I can't thank you enough for coming on and for this fantastic. How old did we sound there? How old? How Oh, get the fuck off my lawn. Absolutely. But um, that's, you know, that's what we're here for. I mean, there's there's I'm not going to I you know, I went to a concert last night. I was looking around. Oh, my God. These are all babies here. Like, I can't believe how old I've gotten. Um, But, you know, got to embrace it. And maybe we are essentially characters in a Wes Anderson film because we're we're staring at middle aged directly in the face. Um, Well, well, thank you, Drew. 
I'll see you later. <laughs> All right. Thanks. And that's this episode of the Insatiable Content Podcast. And thanks again to Drew for joining me.